Please help me welcome J. Lauren Norris. We were running as fast as we could down the side of the highway, across the median, into the center, and the car was bursting in flame. There were more flames coming out from under the hood every second. And it seemed like the further we ran, the further away the scene was getting. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Stay tuned. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast, and we are focused in the Story Power series right now for the first 90 days of 2024. And today we're talking about where to begin. Where does it all begin? Does it begin in the beginning or the beginning in the middle? Does it begin somewhere along the way and then start over and go back and, you know, circle back? Or, or well, hang on, I forgot to tell you this part. If you've ever been a part of an audience where someone began telling a story, and then they backed up three, four, five, six, seven, eight times because they left out a minor detail that you later find is really significant in the course of the story or the call to action or the pain that they address or the solution that they offer. And when they leave that out, there's no connection between the story and the premise or the story and what they're talking to you about. And so they had to go back and, and fix it again. Or maybe you've been in the audience of the storyteller who they begin with the Big Bang. Or they begin on the third day of creation. And they move forward to somewhere in the last 45 minutes. Because it's been like three days since they started talking and they're just filling in all kinds of detail that are not relevant to what you're talking about, but there's a lot of detail. And at some point, your mind begins to try to sort like an old Chilton's manual, what part goes where and, and which ones do I have to hang on to? And what if this is an Ikea furniture kind of a story and there's actually extra pieces? What do I do with those? I, if you've ever been to the home of someone who has a lot of Ikea furniture, they probably have an entire drawer filled with nuts, bolts, screws, attachments, devices, those little wooden dowel things and the little sticker that goes over the top of them because Ikea always gives you extras. At some places, they don't even give you enough, but you almost always get extras with Ikea. So you have nuts, bolts, and pieces left over that, well, you didn't need them. And sometimes you look at the furniture when you're done and you're like, did I fail to put that in? Did I miss that? Or was that intentional? Was it an extra in case I lost one? Or was I supposed to put that somewhere important? And see, people who tell rambling stories, they have exactly the same effect. You get to the end with a junk drawer full of parts of their story, then you're thinking to yourself, was I, did I miss something? Did I miss a point that I, that I, that I should have stuck that detail into so that, that I would get the whole point of the entire story? Or, or is that just an extra tidbit of information, just kind of gee whiz bonus knowledge that I'm not sure I could have lived without? See, when it comes to communication, I love John Maxwell's phrase, everyone communicates, few connect. What's the difference? Well, you could be really basic on that and say, few connect the dots. There are all these random IKEA-like extra parts and facts, 
but they have no relationship to each other. Or there are all these random bits and pieces of the story and they're like fireworks going off in the sky. You see them and then they capture your attention over here. But in the end, they just turn into ash. They go away. They have nothing to do with the point or the moral of the story. They, they're not connected to the call to action. As the audience, you didn't need them at all. They were barely entertainment and lasted for seconds. And now what? But asking yourself the very serious question, where do I begin? Well, I'm going I'm to tell you a couple of things that you really need to know about where do you begin. If you're taking notes, now's a good time to take notes. I won't stomp my foot and say this is going to be on a test because well, there is no test. Except the next time you tell a story or stand in front of someone, whether it's a, a, view, uh, a Zoom virtual call or it's a presentation to your boss or it's on a platform in front of thousands of people. The next time you tell a story, I want you to think of these things. I want you to take some notes. Okay. The first most simplified answer for where do I begin is this. Begin in the middle of the action. Meaning, start with something that's kind of cliffhanger-esque. It makes you wonder, well, what happened next? How did you get there? What was the scene? If you go back and watch many of the Mission Impossible, they probably spend the most amount of time, money, detail, attention on this aspect of beginning in the middle of the action. They begin with, I don't know, Tom Cruise hanging on the side of a jet plane flying through the air. Uh, they begin with explosions and car chases and gunfights and fistfights. And it, it never begins with a slow fade from black to color. Unless, and I've seen a couple, I'm trying to remember which movie it was. It, it, it kind of began with like the opening of the eyes and, you know, the blinking. And as if you were inside, so the shutter opens and, and you begin to see like the ceiling and the lights and you're like, wow, this place doesn't seem familiar. If you've ever woken up in a hotel after a long flight and jet lag, when you open your eyes the first time and you're like, I'm not sure if I want to move my head because nothing I see right now looks familiar. Yeah, some people's stories start that way too, but that that's not the best beginning in the middle of the action. If you begin in the middle of the action like a Tom Cruise movie, now you know this has happened. You've come into a movie like a Mission Impossible or something of that ilk. And you showed up in the theater early enough to get your concessions, your popcorn and your drink, and get in your seat and watch all of the trailers and Mario Menudo or whatever her name is. And you watch all of those things. And then the screen goes black. And then it says, be ready for your feature film. Or now it's time for your feature film. And then the screen goes black again. And when it comes up, it's the middle of the action. And you're thinking to yourself, what did I miss? I mean, I've been sitting here the whole time, but it looks like the movie's half over already. How did this happen? And something in your psychology causes you to lean in and capture that moment because you don't want to miss another thing. You know the action has already started. Now, maybe you're one of those Marvel Universe fans and you've seen all 16 pre-episodes, all the other movies that kind of lead up to this moment in time when Thanos appears on the screen and you're like... Oh, they've been talking about this dude for like five movies. I'm, I'm keeping my eye on him. That's a little bit different than when you take the stage at 12.05 and you were supposed to be up at 11.30 and now instead of having 45 minutes, you have 15 or 10 and you still have to make an impression and you still have to 
do your best to get buy-in or do your best to sell something. And how are you going to do that when you've got a 45-minute impression, uh, 45 minute presentation crammed into 15 minutes of time? Well, you're going to have to make an impression. You're going to have to get their attention. You're going to have to do it fast. You're going to have to be bright, brilliant, brief, and gone. Because that's all they've left you. Now, here's something you got to know about beginning in the middle of the action. This is going to sound really weird. But if you test my theory, or if I'm coaching with you, I will demonstrate it very precisely with your story. Because it changes with every story and every audience. See, the begin in the middle of the action is almost like the bait on the fishing hook. And if the action that you begin in the middle of is the bait on the fishing hook, it will attract certain kinds of fish or prey or audience. And so sometimes a story that maybe the event or the incident took 3, 10, 15, 45 minutes to unfold. Maybe it was over a period of several days that the event unfolded. But there's a moment in time where the beginning of the action, the beginning in the middle of the action, could be shifted like a dial on a clock, like like the numbers on a safe, you know, that combination. You spin it one way and then back three dots and then four or six dots and then back to the left three times and it's got to go all the way around before you stop at the number. And, and if you dial that in just right, then clink, 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 and the safe opens. Your story has the same kind of machinations inside it. There are parts of your story that if you begin with that sentence, <clears throat> which on a timeline, this portion of the story happened at like five minutes into the actual event. This portion of the story happened like six and a half minutes into the actual event. But if you start talking about the story here and then go back to the beginning and come through to that point again, you button hook a whole lot of people into your story that otherwise may have been overlooked. It's the ability to, to dive into that story in a way that the opening remark, the interest-creating remark, the opening line causes people to go, ooh, I want to know more. And there are ways to do that where you're intentionally weeding out a certain part of the audience. By starting at a specific place, you change the interest of the audience. You're not changing the story. But that opening line might hook a teenager that you see in the audience. If you move that, that line 10 seconds in the event or you start with one sentence different, you might hook the senior crowd or the children or the moms only or the dads only or the teenage girls versus the teenage boys. And almost every story, if you look at it broad enough, if the story is broad enough to begin with, then the story will appeal to the entire audience. But that hook, that that very initial stitch of your story, the first couple of sentences, could determine who's going to listen to the rest of it and who's going to ignore it. Either you have their attention or you don't. And I see a lot of people, especially in virtual world, where they will tell you, comment in the comments if, if this is you, or uh, just give me a thumbs up if you agree, or type okay if that's okay with you. And really what they're looking for is engagement and feedback because the chances are one of two things are happening. They're looking at a screen like I am right now. I can see myself on a monitor. 
and I can see the camera. I can look right down the lens of the camera and, and give you the most direct eye contact possible. Or I could be looking down here at the monitor and, and looking around at the cameras and the lights and trying to give you the impression there's a room full of people. But we both know that's not true. On a virtual, a lot of times, presenters will switch to a mode where they can't see the crowd. They can only see themselves. And so they talk as though uh, they know they have everyone's attention. Sometimes, though, they will leave everybody's face up on a monitor in front of them. And if someone decides to take a bite of soup but drops a cracker and bends over out of the picture and picks up their cracker, suddenly the person who's talking feels like nobody's paying attention to me. And so they feel like they have to modify things or, or ask you to engage in the social media aspect of, you know, type in the chat if. And what they're really trying to do is make sure they have your attention, that you're, that you're paying attention, that you're all in, that, you know, they want 100% of the people to do in the middle of their story because they're not sure their story is engaging. Now, if you've written a good story, if you have rehearsed that story well, if you know that that story is going to get the attention of your ideal client, then your concern really isn't, do I get 100% of the people that are on this call, 100% of the people that are in this audience to pay attention to me? The question is, can I get 100% of the people who are my ideal client to pay attention to me? The people whose pain I've resonated with, whose solution I have to offer, can I get them to pay attention? And believe it or not, that opening one or two lines, whether it starts at four seconds into the actual event, 30 seconds into the actual event, Four hours into the actual event, the opening statement that you choose in the arc of the story will draw people in or it will push them away. I believe the one my wife and I saw recently, um, Equalizer 3 with Denzel Washington. Great action flick. Great sub-psychology kind of a flick. The whole idea of the Equalizer series is that he's kind of like Mr. Taken, he's got a really special set of skills and he uses them for good. Okay, that's that's the general premise. The opening scene of this movie, though, is a probably two, maybe three minutes, not seconds, minutes of what I can only believe is a drone flyover of the Italian countryside, maybe Sicily, and it's flying through the mountains, but it starts way, way zoomed out over a vineyard. And off in the distance, you see the mountainside villa and, and the cute little town. And the, the drone takes forever to fly. Now, normally, if it was doing that and you were seeing credits on the screen, you'd be like, is this the end of the movie? What, this is kind of a weird opening. But it, it seemed to just go on forever before we got into the action. And even when we got into the action... It was a car driving down the road at you that wasn't moving very fast and it didn't seem real compelling until, you know, people got out. And it was probably three minutes into the movie before the first shot was fired. For an action flick, that's a long time. That's a whole lot of background detail, a whole lot of things that you're looking at wondering, am I, am I missing something? Is there, is there an Easter egg hidden in there? Is there a foretelling or a foreshadowing somewhere in the, in the landscape that I'm missing? What, what am I not seeing what what's being held from me? What's what's the secret that I'm missing here? Storytellers tend to do the same thing. I don't recommend that. Especially if your 45-minute presentation has been cut to 15 minutes, you better cut to the chase. You've got a lot to say and a little bit of time to do it. You better say something important, impactful, memorable. Make it a memorable moment, not a memoir. That's rule number one of story power. 
Make it a memorable moment, not a memoir. Don't tell me everything that happened to you from the Big Bang till today. I don't, don't need to know all that. What I want to know is that you, through your story, can give evidence that you know what you're talking about. And if that evidence seems to be clear and concise and relative to the problem that I have right now, or at least one of the problems that I have right now, then, then I want to hear that you've lived through it and that you have a solution to it. And I want your story to prove that you live through it. And I want your story to give me evidence that you have a solution to get through it. And then I want you to tell me what are the steps I need to take so that I can have the same victory, success, accomplishment, reward that you have. Well, that's going to need some credentials. That's going to need some credibility. That's going to need some evidence. Not just anecdotal, but truly verifiable evidence. And it probably needs to be, well, it absolutely needs, in fact, I, I make it a requirement that it be authentic, original, and first person. We'll talk a little more. I think we've already talked once about the three E's. We're going to spend a little more time in those later as well, because it's a very powerful aspect of making sure that your story is your story and not some made up, crafted, non-original piece of something from somebody else. If you want to get into that now, you can go back to the one of the first two or three in the series around the first of the year. And it's the message is about being original, telling an original story. There's another one about telling an authentic story. But where do you begin in the story is what we're talking about today. And the answer is begin in the middle of the action, not something boring and not 150 years ago. And unless your story happened 150 years, that would make you like the oldest person ever. You won't even have to tell stories. You're already interesting. I digress as many people do. Begin in the middle of the action. The action that you choose to begin in the middle of can be turned like the dial on a safe. A few seconds this way, a few seconds this way. Dial it in just right to make sure that you're attracting the audience that's in front of you. And if, if you've got one of those stories that you could use for any audience, just make sure that when you move from audience A to audience B, you dial your story just a little bit to make sure that it's now just as appropriate for audience B as it was for audience A. And if you only speak to a certain type of people, a certain age range, demographic, mindset, education level, stereotype, fine. But if you, like most people, end up speaking to crowds of various sizes, of various demographics, of various educational levels, of various backgrounds, then you probably should have stories that are easily modified to attract that audience in the first opening line. It is the bait on the hook when you're fishing, the first three to five seconds, the opening story. If you open your story well, then you can finish your story well with a strong call to action that leads to a solution that profits for you and is progressive and productive for them. If you don't begin in the middle of the action, you're going to bore them to tears and they may pull out their phone, jump on their social media and ignore the rest of what you have to say. Now, whose time have you wasted? Everybody's. As we ran down the highway across the grass median toward the intersection where the cars had collided, the flames had just begun to come up out of the hood, just come out of the hood. I could see them lapping on the windshield and it seemed like the harder we ran, the further away the scene got because I was getting more tired and more tired. It was probably 200 yards from where we were standing when we heard the accident to where the accident actually happened. We were in the middle of nowhere, probably 100 miles from home. My son had found a hood for his old truck that was kind of crinkled and ugly, but 
we decided we're going to take this hood and put it inside the minivan because we didn't bring the truck to put it on the truck. We brought the min yeah. So we put the hood in the minivan, and just as we put it in, we hear er, clash, screeches, screams, and then silence, and then horns honking. And when I looked up, two cars had collided, and someone had been thrown through the back window of the car and was laying on the asphalt in the August Texas sun, being grilled like a catfish. We took off running as fast as we could, myself and both boys, and the guy who owned the property was calling 911. As we ran to the scene, we checked on one driver. She was still in her car, airbag in her face, but she seemed to be fine. We went to the other car where the one passenger had been thrown out the back window to find a driver unconscious in the driver's seat and a passenger who had her right leg sticking out the passenger side window and her left leg under the driver's seat, completely folded backwards and twisted sideways. As we began pulling them out of the car, the flames began to get larger and larger. We got the driver on the ground and he kept trying to get up. The other young man was running around like a chicken with his head cut off, screaming and screaming and screaming. But the driver, we didn't know what kind of injuries he might have. So we put him on the ground and every time he tried to get up, I told my son, just put your finger right on the bridge of his nose and he won't be able to get up off the ground. That could save his life or at minimum save his spine. So keep him flat, keep him still, keep him down. Meanwhile, I took the girl, my other son helped me get her out of the car, and then I told my other son, keep the, the crazy guy from running into traffic, keep him calm, get him to sit down in the grass and just have a conversation with him, even if it makes no sense. Just as I got the girl to a safe place and realized she was wet from the waist down, I didn't know if it was blood or if it was alcohol or if she had wet herself, I had no idea, the EMT pulled up. As the EMT pulls up, he starts to do a morphine drip because her leg is really, really mangled. And I looked at him and I said, do you think that's blood on her pants or is that something else? Well, if that's blood from the waist down, that could be a femoral artery, which means she's going to bleed out before we can do anything else to her. So he cut her pant leg up. Then he cut her sleeve up and started to put in the morphine drip. And when he cut her sleeve up was when we realized I'm covered head to toe in her blood. And she's got track marks from heroin injections from the palm of her wrist all the way to the top of her bicep. She's a junkie. And now I'm covered in her blood. And I called my wife on the way home and said, uh, need to schedule a battery of blood tests at the VA just to make sure that I didn't get anything that I'm not supposed to have from this encounter. Uh, we did hear from DPS later that um, everybody was okay. One of them did have to go to jail for intoxicated driving. The other driver was uh, okay, totaled her car, but they all walked away from it. Very harrowing experience. If I hadn't been a firefighter in the Air Force and a volunteer firefighter at the time that it happened, I probably would have looked at a scene like that and thought, hmm, that's terrible. But something in me wouldn't let me let that pass. I had to engage. Even though I was risking myself, risking my own life, I had no idea how these people were going to react. I didn't know if maybe they were running from the law when they had the collision. All I knew was there was somebody in need. There was a car on fire and people needed to get out of it. And my boys and I jumped in to make that happen. I, I don't know what you would have done in a moment like that, but I would challenge it. Ask yourself, when you look at a crisis in someone else's life, do you feel like it's none of my business? Do you feel like there's something I can do to help, and I should. Or do you feel like, yeah, I, I'm going to dive in at all costs to do the right thing because it's my natural reaction.
Now, any one of those three actions is justifiable. Any one of those three actions could be yours and it could be absolutely the right answer. But if it's a question you've never asked yourself, it'll come back to your core values and it'll come back to your gut level response. Because what you do when you're under pressure, that's what tells you who you really are. As a, a communications coach, let me say that word in English, as a communications coach, I tell my clients regularly, I'm not a speech writer. I'm, that is not my job. I'm not here to write speeches for you. I'm a pineapple squeezer. My job is to put you under pressure so that we can see what comes out when you're under pressure. Because when you're on the stage, when your 45 minutes has been cut to 15, when the time that you have to make your presentation is not nearly what you thought it was, when the person in front of you knocked it out of the park and you're doing all you can to tread water, what comes out of you when you're under pressure tells people what's really in you in the first place. Whether it's a car accident, an issue with your child, an issue at school, an issue at work, an issue in politics, or that moment on the stage when you've lost all your time, when you're under pressure, what's really in you is coming out. Take the time now to ask about your own core values and what will come out of me when I'm under pressure. How's that for a story turned to a lesson? Three to five minute story, pretty solid moral value lesson, pretty solid core values questions. It really is about what happens to you when you're under pressure. How will you react then? Integrity is what you do when nobody's looking. Your core values is what expressed when you're under pressure. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. For your story, I recommend that you begin in the middle of the action. Make people wonder what's coming next and what did they miss? And don't spend a whole lot of time doing loop-de-loops to go back to the beginning to tell things that you should have included in the first place. And remember, too, you can paint a very vivid picture that may trigger someone, or you could paint a very vivid picture emotionally that they paint in the rest of it in their own mind. Notice I didn't tell you what kind of cars were involved in that accident or, or where it was or what the intersection looked like or what kind of people were in there aside from the one drug addict. Does that matter? No, but if I were not cautious about the way that I tell that story, it could be triggering, it could be activating, it could be disarming, or it could be disengaging. I want you to be in the scene, but I don't want you to have so much detail that you look at it and go, yeah, that wasn't me, I wasn't there, I, I never saw anything like that. Because I want you to learn from the story and be engaged in the story, not overwhelmed with the details. That part will be up to you. And you're going to have to spend some time with your story and your core values to get to that. If you need help with that, that's what I'm here for. Visit storypowermasterclass.com and let's see if we can work together. But always begin in the middle of the action. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Lauren is a master teacher on storytelling, and I learned so much. Um, I'm really going to have to sit down and go back through everything, and I think I might have to have some more coffees with Lauren, but uh, it was totally worth my time, and I really highly recommend it if you're looking to grow your ministry, grow your business, uh, grow your career. Uh, Lauren will serve you well. Thank you. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.